It is a gift to be with you on this Resurrection Sunday in the places that you are and the spaces you're inhabiting. Uh, My name is John. I'm one of the pastors at Pillar. Uh, As we gather in this virtual way to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, there are a whole host of ways the Pillar community is stepping up in mission. You can find out more about each of them on our website. There's a link responding to COVID-19. You're also welcome to email office at pillarchurch.com. And then, of course, to support the mission and ministries of the church, there's a Give link in the upper right corner of the main page on the website. It would be a great gift if you could support the mission and ministry of the church financially. But for now, I hope you don't mind. I hope it's okay. I'm not going to back off on a full-on resurrection sermon just because it requires the internet. I'm coming full force On this day, throughout time, and in so many spaces, the church gathering in every way that it can, in every place that it meets, has been shouting, Christ is risen, he's risen indeed. Now I realize you're sitting at home, you're feeling incredibly awkward shouting back at a computer screen, but I'm just going to suggest you get over yourself, because Christ is risen, he's risen indeed. Now I'm guessing, I'm, I'm sensing a few of you are saying, hey pastor, hey pastor, maybe not this year. Maybe we tone it down this time, Pastor. Back off just a little bit, Pastor, after all. Lockdown, after all. Quarantine. And I'm just going to offer kindly, gently, and clearly, no. I don't think this is the year to back off. I don't think Jesus had a few mistakes from a Tuesday on his mind when he went to the cross. I don't think Jesus had a little whoops-a-daisy in his heart when he went to the grave. Jesus had the crisis of the world in his heart. Jesus had the disease called sin that's been wreaking havoc on our relationships and on our own spirits for so many centuries. Jesus had the violence that destroys our cities and wreaks havoc on our teens on his heart. Jesus had the injustice and the inequity and the objectification of every kind the world has ever known on his heart. Jesus had those who are working with those who are sick on his heart, who are now lonely and exhausted and isolated and tired. Jesus didn't just have a couple of bad days in mind. Jesus had the crisis of the world on his heart when he went to the cross as he endured the grave only to rise up in resurrection. That's why we say Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. So listen to the story that gives this day its meaning and our lives their purpose. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. When they entered the tomb, they saw a man dressed in white sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. He said to them, do not be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth 
who was crucified. He is not here. He's been raised. Look where they laid him. Now go tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. After he had risen on that first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him while they were weeping and mourning, and when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. Then he appeared in a different form to two of them, As they were in the countryside, they went and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Later, he appeared to the eleven as they were sitting at the table, and he upbraided them for their lack of faith and stubbornness because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the good news to the whole creation. The one who believes and is baptized will be saved. Those who do not believe will be condemned. And this will be the sign accompanying those who believe. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes in their hands. And if they drink any deadly thing, it will not harm them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. Now the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken these things, was taken up into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and proclaimed the good news everywhere. And the Lord worked with them by confirming the message with the signs that accompanied it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's Mark 16. Uh, You're more than welcome to find it in a Bible near you. If you do happen to grab it in a Bible near you, the first thing you're going to notice, there are two endings to the Gospel of Mark. There's the shorter ending, just get right to it. And then there's the longer one. The, the one you just heard, there's all kinds of explanations as to why there's two different endings, neither of which, none of which, alter the announcement this day holds Christ is risen, he's risen indeed. Now in just a few minutes, we're going to try our first ever virtual communion experience together. I hope you've got the bread or the crackers or the cookies and the juice or the wine or the water. Uh, we're going to gather around the table in a unique way not actually unlike the church in so many places around the world who has experienced different kind of pressures and different kind of persecutions, always finding a way to gather around the table. But first, there's a few things I want to show you about this resurrection story in Mark 16. If you're looking for a little order to it all, I'm calling this resurrection in crisis. Questions, concerns, and a love that knows no limits. Resurrection in crisis. Questions. Now, this is how the story begins. I'm fascinated by the women. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Good question. Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And to make the question even all the more pertinent, Mark adds the stone, which was very large. 
The world was a buzz. Jerusalem was a buzz. Their lives were buzzing. It was the Passover. People from all over Israel climbing the steady slope up to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, the story of God's unfolding salvation in the world. This Passover was unique. The, the one they called the Christ, the one before whom they had thrown their cloaks and waved their palms had been arrested. He was put on trial. They actually, well, they killed him. They, they hung him on a cross. And the women, the women were there to see it. They watched it. They even heard him say from the cross, it's finished, it was over, their hopes were dashed. They, they had even waited three days, three days. Any self-respecting person would realize after three days, it is surely over, it is surely done. So they go to the tomb. They go to the tomb to anoint the dead body, keep the, keep the smell down. And then naturally they wonder, who, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Good, good question. Now, one of the things that's stood out to me in my pastoral experience, amidst the losses and the griefs and the sadnesses and even the crises of, li of life, are the questions people ask. I'll be gathering with a family after the loss of one they love, thinking about grief and death and resurrection, and Aunt Sally will say, do you think we should put butter on the buns? Yeah, yeah, good, good question. I'll, I'll be sitting with the man who, who just lost his job, I'm thinking about uh, worth and value. I'm thinking, you belong to Christ. And he'll ask, do you, do you think I should refinance my house? Yeah, that's, that's a good, good question. I'm, I'm thinking about the families I know who have experienced tragedy, experienced trauma, who are in the midst of crisis, and I'm trying to navigate crisis care, and then the neighbor comes by, do you think I should pick up her mail? Yeah, well, I guess that's a good question. The questions we ask in crisis, uh, they're good questions. I'm not, not trying to minimize their importance. They're practical questions. They give us a sense of control. We can do something. What can I do? What can I do? Let, let me do something. So they ask, who, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the promise. The questions you're asking, the concerns you're carrying, actually, they've already been tended to. They've already been addressed. Ask your questions. They're important questions. But the big meta story, the big macro word, Announced on this day, your questions have been addressed, your concern has been held, your worry has been taken care of. Resurrection and crisis, we're asking all kinds of questions right now amidst COVID-19 and the coronavirus. When will it be normal again? What will normal be? Will, will, will online school count towards my GPA? When will the stimulus check come? Good questions. I'm wondering myself. The resurrection of Jesus Christ announces in the big macro meta level, it's, it's already been addressed. They've already been taken care of. Uh, some friends of mine got me onto the uh, Scottish Journal of Theology. 
and an essay written by a man named Alan Lewis. I have no idea who the guy is, but this is good. Death terminates human life. And history is no unstopping process with its own dynamic to resist and survive the invasion of non-being. Rather, we lurch through time impeded by a syncopated series of catastrophes. Egyptian captivity, Babylonian exile, Roman crucifixion, disasters, natural and man-made, genocides particular and global. To all of this, Christian theology has no principle it can hypothesize about survival. Only a story to tell about grace. That's resurrection in crisis. A story to tell about grace. The stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. A resurrection in crisis. Questions, concerns. The announcement the angel makes to the women at the tomb is astonishing to me. They get to, t- to the tomb. Unlike Peter and John, a different gospel writer would tell us who were anxious about going into the tomb, the women, they, they were just... They went right into the tomb. As they entered the tomb, they saw a man dressed in white sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. He said, do not be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. The angel announcement begins with loss. The angel announcement begins with pain. The angel announcement begins with sadness. Though the big meta-macro story of our lives is resurrection, God making all things new, is not an invitation to denial. It's not to pretend like all is fine and everything always goes the way we want it to. The angel announces, you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. It would be disingenuous, even kind of awkward. On this Sunday, of all Sundays, as I sit here in a sanctuary filled with cables and cameras and cords, To act like everything's just fine. It's not fine. The dominoes, at least as we saw them, started falling on March 12. From my little perch, first it was Big Ten basketball, then it was the NCAA men's March Madness, then it was NBA, then it was NHL, then it was MLB, then the market started crashing, then jobs started going, then anxiety started rising. It would be odd to not acknowledge in the middle of all of this the circumstances that swirl. And the Christian faith doesn't want you to. The Christian faith isn't asking you to. The Christian faith somehow simultaneously holds Jesus Christ is king, the risen one, the resurrected one, who is now seated at the right hand of God is also the crucified one, the buried one, the one we're still waiting for. Resurrection in crisis is an invitation to name honestly the concerns you carry, but not be overwhelmed by them, not be undone by them, not be overturned because of them. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He's not here. He's been raised. Look where they laid him. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is an invitation into honesty. Oh. I've been thinking a lot about lament lately. How, how, do you, how do you coexist with the great hope of the world realized in Jesus Christ and the pain-filled realities of our lives in so many cases? Even if corona hasn't affected me personally, it's affecting all of us collectively, and we can be honest about it. 
Lament gives us space to both name the sadness and live in hope. Ours, after all, is the God who from the cross cried, my God, my God, and today you'll be with me in paradise. Ours is the faith that invites us to say, how long, O Lord, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Ours is the creed that says, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, was buried. Resurrection in crisis is an invitation to name honestly the concerns, but not be overwhelmed by them, not be undone because of them, not be overturned in them, You're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He's been raised. Resurrection in crisis, questions, concerns, and a love that knows no limits. That's that's resurrection day, a love that knows no limits. That's, That's the gospel of Christ. That's the Christian story. That's the story of your life, a love that knows no limits. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. I have loved you with an everlasting love, declares the Lord. Just as I have loved you, Jesus says. Wherever you find yourself today, all alone in your living room, or maybe together with those closest to you, carrying the concerns of what's to come in your heart, or unaware of what to be concerned about, the gospel of Christ says God in Jesus Christ loves you. It's fascinating to me, this, this two endings in Mark's gospel. The first one's the short one, just get right to it. The second one, the longer one, I wonder, there's all kinds of explanations as to why there's two Two endings. You can Google it faster than I can. I wonder if the early church insisted on the longer ending being included in the gospel because the early church wanted us to notice who Jesus sees, who Jesus comes to, who he appears to. After he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene. Now, I don't mean to be offensive, but Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, she who did her best work at night, that Mary Magdalene, Oh, and let's not forget about Peter. The angel announcement includes, go tell his disciples, and Peter, Peter, the one who denied him, along with John who left him and the others who abandoned him. Then he appears in a different form, and I would love to have seen what that different form looked like. He appears in a different form to two of them as they're out in the country. They go and tell the others, but they did not believe them. Then finally, exasperated, Jesus shows up to the eleven while they're at the table and he upbraids them for their stubbornness and lack of faith because they had not believed. So let me get this straight. It's Peter who denied him and Mary Magdalene who was demon-possessed and a group of folks who wouldn't believe. And they're stubborn. And Jesus died for them anyway. Jesus rose for them still. And Jesus invites them to participate in their weakness, in their stubbornness, with their past, in their denial. He invites them to participate. Go, announce to the whole world the good news of all creation. That's resurrection. There is no past that you can't change that can keep you from the unending love of Jesus Christ. There is no current circumstance or situation that prevents you from the unending love of Jesus Christ. That's resurrection. 
So if you've been treating your classmates like they're non-essential, he loves you. If you've been acting towards your colleagues like they're competitors, he loves you. If you're carrying a deep concern in your heart, he loves you. If you're the one with the past that makes Mary Magdalene a standout, he loves you. He loves you so much. He left the eternal glory of heaven and entered into the finite realities of humanity. He suffered and died, went the way of the cross and the grave only to rise up in resurrection and took his seat at the right hand of God because he loves you. That's the story. That's the gospel. That's resurrection. So the rhythms of our lives are all turned inside out. Those who are alone feel lonelier. Those who are stuck at home with their families only wish to be alone. Even those who are working, the rhythms of their work are different. It's, we're all turned upside down. Right now, it's true in our home. I'm trying to work from home, mostly fits and starts and mostly interruptions. I'll be on a Zoom call and I'll see coming out of the upper left of my screen, my 10-year-old daughter from behind me sneaking up on me. I'll be doing one of those daily devotionals. I hope you get them. We try to email them to you. All of a sudden, Ava jumps on my lap or the dog barks in the moment I was hoping for silence. We're just doing uh, the best we can. I find the mornings to be the most precious for me. Not every day, but in most cases, I'll rise a little earlier. I'll sneak downstairs. I'll head out onto our front porch it's one of my hiding spots. Don't tell the girls. And I'll do whatever I can do for as long as they'll let me do it. And almost without fail, the first one after me to get up is Ava. She's the three-year-old. Uh, she'll sneak downstairs. She'll notice me on the front porch. She'll come on outside. She'll hop on my lap. Her body's still warm from sleep. Her hair matted from some dream. Her big blue eyes looking at me. It's so precious. On Wednesday, uh, we followed our liturgy. I was down on the front porch doing whatever I was doing. Ava snuck down. She found me. I had my dog Samson with me, our two-year-old, our two-year-old Labradoodle. We're probably the worst dog owners in the history of the world. We just got really lucky with Samson. He's such a good dog, gentle and calm. And with a three-year-old, that's really important. So Ava gets onto the front porch. She sees Samson. She grabs him by the hair on his face and shoves her face into his. Uh, she says, I don't want any other dog than Sammy. I love Sammy. And then she gets a little dramatic. She's the fourth of four daughters. Her life has basically lived on stage. She says, oh, I love him so. And then she starts to sing. She made up a song. She, she, she starts to sing, even though your ears are funny. She grabs his ears. Even though you're different than me. She hugs his head. I love you. I love you. I love you, she lays on him. Now, forgive, I don't mean to compare you to my Labradoodle, and I'm not suggesting Ava is like God in that way, but it is a good song. Even though your ears are funny, even though you're different than me, I love you. I love you. That's the gospel. That's the resurrection story. Resurrection in crisis. And so we say with the church throughout the world, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. And on this day, friends, 
we're going to gather, we're going to do our best to gather around a virtual table. Hopefully you've got some bread or appropriate substitutes like crackers or cookies and some juice or wine or water. God loved you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ. And on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in the same way, after they had eaten, he took the cup and out of the great love with which he loved you, he poured it out. So this is the new covenant in my blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So whenever we eat the bread and drink from the cup, we proclaim the death of our Lord until he comes again to make all things new and to make all things right because he loves you. If you believe Jesus is Lord and you acknowledge him as Savior, you're welcome to partake today in this virtual way. If you're not at that place in life or faith, or if there are other reasons for which you would choose not to come to the table, not the least of which is this isn't exactly the way you would have imagined it. You're, you're going to wait until we can all be together. I get it. But if you believe Jesus is Lord and you acknowledge him as Savior, uh, you're welcome to feast now. There will be a song that is played and images of pillar people on your screen, uh, inviting you to be mindful of the communion of saints. Let's pray together. Holy and right it is, and our joyful duty at all times and in all places to give thanks to you, almighty and everlasting God. You created heaven with all their hosts and the earth and all its plenty. You've given us life and being and preserved us by your providence, but you've shown us the fullness of your love by sending into the world your Son, Jesus Christ, the eternal word made flesh for us and for our salvation. For the precious gift of this mighty Savior, we praise and bless you, O God. And with your whole church on earth and all the company of heaven, we worship and adore your glorious name. Holy, holy, holy Lord God of hosts, heaven and earth are full of your glory. We remember now the perfect sacrifice offered once on the cross by our Lord Jesus for the sin of the whole world. And in the joy of his resurrection and in the promise of his coming again, we offer ourselves to you as holy and living sacrifices. We acknowledge today the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. So send your Holy Spirit upon us in all of these varied places and spaces, neighborhoods and homes. Send your Spirit upon us that the bread we break and the cup we bless may be to us communion with one another. And grant that being joined together in Christ, we might attain to the unity of the faith and grow up into all things into Christ who is our Lord. Until that great day, Christ, when you come again to make all things new and to make all things right, we pray, come Lord Jesus. Amen.